Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tilly Badan. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Uh, Well, I've had a bit of an eventful day, if I'm honest. So I decided that I was going to go out on a nice ride on my horse and um, I planned a sort of a three-hour hack around the woods. I set aside the whole morning so that I had a nice chunk of time where I wasn't working or doing anything else. I got halfway around the woods and accidentally stumbled into some military training exercise. I mean, we're the the woods where I ride around a nearby military base. And we came across loads of soldiers with machine guns that were obviously doing some training exercise. And that frightened my horse. So we ended up galloping off probably, probably about a mile before I was able to stop. Oh, my God. I know. It was quite scary. Um, Ben had to go through a very narrow gateway and she ended up trapping my kneecap between her and a metal gateway and I don't know if I chipped my kneecap or not it's very black it's very swollen um and it's clicking a bit as I walk so that was nice and then to top it all off we were walking back through the river just to cool off and calm down and my horse fell over in the river and I, I luckily I didn't quite fall off but she went like mostly underwater and I went probably up to about my waist in water, in freezing cold water, um, in front of a really large audience as well, because there's lots of kids and dog walkers and things around there. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I came back to the yard dripping wet, and everyone was like, what what happened? And I was like, it was just a traumatic ride. So, um, yeah, that was my Sunday. Soldiers, injuries, and drowning, Tilly. I mean, wow, I it sounds quite epic. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like some sort of war movie you've been through. You and the horse, <laughs> you know, on Flanders Fields trying to deliver a message to the front lines. Wow. Well, considering she looks like she could be a war horse, ah. she's with um she's a big chunky sort of cob that would be used to pulling guns and cannons and stuff, I suppose. A in big cars. chunky cob. Yeah. Not, not exactly endearing. You know, if you said that, you're all right. Yeah. How would you describe yourself? Well, I'm a big chunky cob. Hmm. Well, she's pretty in my eyes. A pretty big chunky cob. Like oh, yes. It. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't have the best of mornings, I have to say, but we survived. I didn't actually fall off. The knee will heal. And um, I didn't completely fall off in the river. So that was good. Um, and it was a sunny day. It could have been worse. It could have been really cold. I, so. like, oh, I like the fact that you have maintained a positive disposition. Despite Always. Despite my friend. Always. But yeah, other than that, um, just mostly work. So how have you been? Yeah, good, good. I was, I was at the wrestling last night. I'm into wrestling. I'm a wrestling lad these days. Did they person that you're supporting when is that a is it uh, well, that, or is it I don't, yeah i don't really work like that i suppose wrestling it's more like the spectacle of it so um i was at a gig with my best friend jason the other week and uh we got chatting and he just suddenly said to me um i want to be a wrestler and i think you should be my manager and i was like what this is just Whoa, okay. he says <laughs> yeah it's just that I, I think I should be a wrestler because he's, he's quite a fit guy. He's into the fitness and the gym and all that. 
um, he's like, yeah, I should be a wrestling and you should be a manager. I was like, okay. And then I says, well, we need to start somewhere. So we went to one small hall show the other week. And then yesterday we went to another uh, called Wrestling North. And it was really, really good. It's like, I haven't watched wrestling since I was a, a child. You know what I mean? When I was watching wrestling, it was kind of Hulk Hogan and the Legion of Doom and the Bushwhacker Brothers and Ultimate Warrior. That's when I'm down with the macho man, Randy Savage, you know. And uh, yeah, it's like, okay, we'll go to the wrestling. So it was really, really good. I was really impressed by it. So I think I might be a wrestling fan now. Uh, you know, every, every couple of months, Tilly, every month or so, it's like a new thing that I get into. You've, you've, you've seen many of these new things with me, haven't you? You know my fascination. fascination. It tends to oh, flip from of course. thing to thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a new thing every month, I think. Yeah, but, um, so, so this, this is month, your new thing this month. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to be a wrestling lad. You know, my midlife crisis was maybe going to be golf or then camper van. I'm thinking now, Tilly, I could be a wrestling manager. I mean, at least it's the manager bit and not the actual wrestling part. So you're not going to get injured. So that's, no. that's probably a good thing. I think the, 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 the days have long since sailed by when I was offering to um, have bare knuckle fights with social workers <laughs> who'd been struck off for bullying. Less said about that, the better. I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, right. Let's move on, Tilly. Should we crack on and uh, just get straight into this week's show? Are you ready for it, you hypocrite? Yeah, obviously. I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. Well, I'm going to start by asking this question. Is Tilly Baden a hypocrite? Yeah, yeah, of course I am. I mean, aren't all social workers? We tell people how to live and then don't practice what we preach. Uh, well, yeah, yes, yes. And let's get into that one. So, listeners, the reason I've gone with this story is um, over the weekend on Sunday, we published an article by one of our newer writers, um, Ashley Campbell. She's a MSW from America. And I really liked her article. I like all the articles, you know, all the articles, especially yours, Tilly. Of course, of course, your article is my favourite. Um, but I like well, I like all the articles on Social Work News. You know, we have excellent ones from yourself. And then we've got Millie Glass. We've got Maisie McDonald. We've got Matt Bay. We've got Ashley Campbell. We've got Taiba. We've got lots and lots of people who uh, we publish on a regular basis now. And ours is an evergreen flock. Quick shout out to our listeners, by the way. I don't think I've done this yet, but... If any of you guys listen to this and are ever interested in writing for mysocialworknews.com, drop me or Tilly a message on Twitter or send a direct message on Facebook via the Social Work News or Social Work World pages or on Instagram. And yeah, we, we'd love to have a look at your work. You know, we, we've got a growing stable. Our, our stable of writers is growing almost as fast as my stable of wrestlers will be when I'm a wrestling manager. So recently, just over this weekend, we published a piece from Ashley Campbell. And I liked it, Tilly, because I've got to be honest, I've been guilty of this before. Um, essentially, Ashley's, Ashley's piece was really funny. It was basically when a parent apologised to her for the state of their front room and she looked at it and thought well actually um my front room at home is far worse and i'm this woman's social worker so to kick it off tilly have you ever been in that kind of position where people have apologized for the state of their homes you've been thinking wow you should see mine then perhaps you'd feel a bit better about yours oh yes all the time <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm quite a messy person 
I'm yeah I'm not the tidiest I've got to be honest I hate cleaning it's the absolute worst thing but not so much cleaning as, as I don't think like things dirty but I'm messy in terms of I leave stuff laying around where it shouldn't and you should see the state of my car it's a pigsty um yeah and and I often then have to apologize to people whoever get in my car I'm like please don't don't judge me because it's really That's bad. a sign of being a social worker, though, because my car's always in a state because I eat lunch in my car about five times a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is pretty much always guaranteed to find McDonald's yeah. um, remnants in my car. Not even sorry. <laughs> so there's been another couple of articles, not that we've published so recently, but you guys want might have a look on the uh, mysocialworknews.com and have a look for these. You know, there's articles that we've published by Vicky, Social Work Sorted, which was titled how often have you missed lunch because you had too much to do we've published an article by millie glass in october said i'm fed up of being called out by my student social worker and back in april last year we published uh, one by our secret social worker Maisie mcdonald with the title was i'm a social worker and this is how i became addicted to chocolate and essentially all of these articles kind of have the same thread running through them which is essentially as social workers, we offer a lot of advice to people. You know, we need to offer advice to people. It's our job. You know, it is good advice. And I imagine if we had the willpower, we would certainly take that advice on board ourselves. But whether people with low willpower are drawn to social work or social work is so exhausting, it gives you low willpower. Who knows? I'm more likely to say the latter because there's a lot of research which says that being stressed at work, having difficult days, having a lot of pressure upon you significantly reduces your willpower. And that is the reason why many of us will find ourselves coming home after a hard day of work, eating a takeaway. Those of you who drink perhaps may find yourself drinking more than you would like to. Maybe difficult to give up smoking. You may find it easy to give into temptations such as doom scrolling on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, perhaps spending money online and so on. Maybe even having like unhealthy snacks during the day. There's a lot of research which says if you're in a stressful environment, you're more likely to do that because your willpower significantly drops. Before we get too deep into that one, the point is, Tilly, are social workers guilty of not practicing what we preach? What do you say, my friend? All the time. I mean, every single article you've just mentioned there, I'm thinking, yep, guilty, guilty, guilty. I mean, yeah, messiness, definitely. Um, Eating chocolate or eating junk food, 100%. I'm awful. My diet is just horrendous. Um, What were the other ones again? Oh, not, oh, skipping lunch. Yeah, Yeah, definitely do that most of the time. See, some... Most days I don't eat anything until the evening. I'll, I'll skip breakfast because I'm rubbish at having breakfast. Then I might have like a piece of toast or something for lunch, if at all, anything, and then eat loads in the evening. And that's really unhealthy way to live. But it should be the other way around, actually. You it know, should, you should be. You should have your it largest meal first thing in the morning. Um, mm. I, I try my best to eat very little um, at the end of the day. I try actually to stop eating by about four o'clock if I can. Uh, generally tends to be the best for your health. But look, I'm not going to sit here and preach to people because I've been there myself and I still am there myself at sometimes. It, it it can be incredibly difficult, can't it? So why don't we practice what we preach? Because let's put it like this. Imagine yourself in my position. And you'll be similar to because you'll work with similar professions to what I do. We work with the health service. We work with the police. We work with support workers. We've spent three or five years at university 
We know all the research. We keep up to date with what people should do. We have plans. We have care plans. If you think about the common assessment framework, which I use within child protection, key aspects look at health and diet and environment and making sure that children's needs are met and making sure that parents are in good health as well. It's not as if we don't know this. Would that be fair to say? It's not as if social workers do not know what you need to live a healthy life. Is that fair for us to establish as a baseline? Yeah, of course we do. We know what's good for us and what's not good. Bingo. And would it also be fair, particularly in your line of work, when you work with people who've got significant health issues and adults, would it also be fair to say that we see the extremities of unchecked, maladaptive behaviours and poor lifestyle choices? Would that be fair to say as well? Oh, definitely. Every day. There we go. So if we know what we should be doing, and if we are faced with real-life consequences and real-life examples of that, so we can't even excuse us and say, well, we didn't think it would happen to us because we're seeing it on a daily basis, it happens to other people. Why are so many of us in social work so guilty of not practising what we preach to others? I mean, there is no straightforward answer, really. I think, I think stress and just general busyness and just lack of energy that you have in your own personal life can be a huge factor and it's hard I think it's easier to say how you should live and actually not live by it I mean it it takes a lot of willpower and effort to make healthy choices and live a healthy lifestyle and to be perfectly honest I don't really care. I'm, I'm quite happy <laughs> living how I do. I, like <laughs> I don't really honesty. want to change. I do admire your honesty there, Teddy. I do admire your honesty. But look, I'm not I'm not here to shame anybody. I've been there myself. You know, I've uh, I've been in very difficult places in social work at times, and I have ended up drinking drinking too much. Uh, not at work, just to be very clear. Um, yeah, I've ended up drinking too much. I've ended up eating too much. I've ended up in very, very poor lifestyle choices with with poor lifestyle choices. And I've ended up unhealthy and in, in, in ill health because of that. And whilst we may say, you know, when, you know, you're in your 20s and perhaps 30s and even 40s, you know, till you may say, oh, well, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. It's fine. If we continue with these poor behaviours and poor lifestyle choices that go against what we tell other people and that we know are bad for us, what's going to happen when it comes time to pay the piper? I mean, you're just making me feel guilty right here, Vince. I've just said I don't want to shame anybody. Just a question. Surely that's a valid question, is it not? It's a valid question, but I'm just sat there going, yeah, I know you can tell me. And I can tell myself till I'm blue in the face telling myself these things. But I don't know. It's making healthy changes is really difficult. And it's easier to take the denial route and think, oh, I'll put it off. I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be fine. It won't happen to me. Yeah. But do you think if you had a less stressful job, if we had a less stressful job, would it be easier to spend that time on yourself probably I don't know it's hard to say because I've always been in social work as an adult so um, I find it really hard to think about my life and social work being separate things Um, would I be any different I don't know I don't know if that's just who I am kind of a just let things be it will be okay 
I'm, a, I'm quite a risk taker I think in in life I'm I know that we were talking about this at work the other day about when we're thinking about how adults make decisions and what your model is about risk throughout mm. your life and then when you get to the end of your life and you might lose capacity and you're trying to make a best interest decision for someone about how your personality and how your approach to life will shape the best interest decisions that are eventually made and I know that I'm I'm quite of a, a risk taker. I'm a bit of a, a gambler, not the financial sense, because I, I don't gamble, but I, I do like to take a gamble on things. I, I, yes. I will always take the riskier route for greater reward, even if it leads to potential hardship. Makes um, for exciting life, doesn't it, tell you? It, it does, it does. Life. I'm more of an adventure-seeking kind of person. I make poor financial decisions most of the time but I, I'm kind of a live life in the moment worry about it later kind of person I, I'm quite laid back when it comes to thinking about the future I try and just focus on the here and now as much as I can so that's kind of the, that's my personality so I presume that if I wasn't a social worker I'd do the same thing yeah I imagine point. you're quite opposite though you're quite a I know you take risks, but you're you're more of a calculated risk taker. Yeah, I, I I did my Myers Briggs test the other day. Have you done a Myers Ooh, Briggs? Yes, yourself? I am. What are you? ESTP. ESTP. Okay. So I I'm INTJ. What's I what's INTJ? What's Hang that on. one? I need to Google it. I need to. Oh well, you, you, hey guys, you're getting uh, you're getting some live action. So IST ISTJ is what you are. So INTJ no, is I the architect. That's the architect. Yeah. So the architect is the person with the introverted, intuitive thinking and judging personality traits. These thoughtful tacticians love perfecting the details of life, applying creativity and rationality to everything they do. Their inner world is a private, complex one. Does that sound like you, my friend? Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure. I might need to retake the test. I think it depends on my mood, um, to be honest. I think I'm quite changeable. But yeah, I don't um, I don't know. I'm, hmm. the, the reason I mentioned this anyway is when I did the when I did my Myers-Briggs test, it came out and it said I was the entrepreneur. So extroverted, observant, thinking, prospecting, personality traits. So it's kind of a mixture of planning, and detail things, but not overanalyzing them. So I like to plan, but I don't overanalyze things. I like to take action instead. So what I kind of like to do is I like to take risks, but I like them to be on my terms. So I don't like it when surprises come at me from outside of my control. But I do like um, I do like taking risks, but if it's calculated and if it's on my terms. Hence the fact that you know entrepreneurial spirit. Um, the reason I mentioned that is, uh, yeah, in response to what you'd said there, I'm getting better. I'm more disciplined, but um, social work made, made me very unhealthy. The first three or four years I was a social worker, Tilly, I put on a, a great deal of weight. I'm not going to discuss weight too much because I know it's a very sensitive subject and everybody has, you know, different views on that. And genuinely, you know, don't get me twisted, guys. You know, whatever size or shape you are, that's absolutely fine as long as you're happy with it. The key thing I'm going to say here, Tilly, is I wasn't happy with the size I got. I wasn't. You know, if people are happy with that, that's fair enough. That's on them. You know, if people are whatever size they are, as long as they're happy, that's absolutely fine. I respect that in other people. 
I wasn't happy in myself and I couldn't respect that in myself. And I genuinely blame social work for that. You know, before I was a social worker, all my jobs have been quite active. You know, when I was a youth worker, when I worked in the career service, when I worked managing bars and nightclubs, um, when I worked as a labourer, when I worked as a coal merchant, when I worked on a building site, when I worked in a chicken factory, when I worked as a gardener, all the jobs that I'd done prior were very, very active. So I never really had to go to the gym or anything because I was doing manual labour. And then when I became a social worker, you know, not only did my energy levels massively drop because I moved to a relatively sedentary job, I didn't have the time before or after work in order to make up for the, you know, the lack of energy that I was expending during the day in terms of the physical sense. Cause I would come home from work absolutely exhausted. And then, you know, what it's like, you've got the peer pressure in the office. There's always cakes and sweets on the go. So I struggled. I massively, massively struggled. And it was only really around three years ago that I managed to get a grip on that. And the reason I managed to get a grip on that, because what happened three years ago, Tilly, we went to home working, didn't we? We did indeed. Yeah. So I was able to set my own boundaries and routines. I thought, oh, well, you know, I've now got all that time I was spent in traveling across the country just to go from meeting to meeting that I can now do online. Oh, wow. You know, I can, all that time I spent just commuting to and from the office to sit in front of my computer that I've got in my house, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that made a massive, massive difference to me. But I still feel like a hypocrite. Um, do you think our clients would think we were hypocritical in terms of the advice we give them if they knew what many of us in social work were doing in our own personal time? See, I think it depends how you give the advice. Um, so if you're just giving people general guidance and expectations, um, so I, I'm going to talk from an adult's perspective here. So um if I'm working with someone, for example, who's got diabetes and we have to look at uh, a management plan to make sure that they stay healthy and, and manage their diet because of their diabetes. I think something like that where you're giving someone guidance to help themselves is very different to your perspective in children's services where you're setting expectations around if you don't do this, this is going to potentially impact on your children. Uh, so I think we come at it from two very different perspectives. Um, but I think people are generally expect social workers to be human. Um, I'm, I would much rather take advice from someone that isn't perfect themselves. So if I went to the doctors for something, I'd much rather the doctor was just real with me and just could talk to me about the research mm. and and the just general advice rather than looking at them and thinking, well, they're perfect. Well, I'm never going to be able to live up to that expectation. So why would I even bother? So mm. I think it's important that social workers are human when we give our advice. It's a very fair point, actually. You know, you, you, you do have to you have to show that, don't you? Um, that that you get it. On the flip side, is there not a duty on social workers to provide good examples to our clients? Because if you think, think think about this in terms of social work England codes of conduct, and if you think about this in terms of you know holding the profession in good repute, and if you think of this in terms of councils that we work for and organisations that we work for, where all of us sign contracts that we have to you know show a good example and represent our employers in a good light, 
does that not come into it a little bit? Should we not be a good example to our clients? I think in general, as long as you're living a fairly decent life in terms of you're not doing anything illegal, I think we just need to be sensible about it and be human. I don't I don't think we should be held to higher standards than anyone else in society. And I think that's a really, well, I feel quite strongly about that. I don't think we should be seen to be perfect because that's not real life. And actually we all have struggles and it's how you overcome those that's going to be able to give you more life experience and support the people that by, by inspiring them to come to overcome things. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I don't know. What's your view? I, I, I wonder, I wonder what would happen in social work if we introduce mandatory drug and alcohol testing. So at mysocialworknews.com over the past couple of months, we've, we've ran some, you know, quite shocking stories. One was about a social worker who ran over a little girl at a caravan site while she was under the influence of cocaine. And the other one was a, a social worker who was struck off for being drunk at work. He was literally so drunk that he fell over a table during a home visit to a mother and her child. And then after he'd left the home visit, he stumbled over a wall, got into his car and was latterly arrested for drink driving. So let's not beat about the bush here, Tilly. There are some wrong-uns in social work. We've discussed these on the podcast. Remember, we did the podcast about this subject, about the bad apples in social work. And we established that, yes, there are there are plenty of wrong-uns in our profession, aren't there? There are, unfortunately so. So... Many jobs involve mandatory drug and alcohol testing. Alcohol testing to make sure that you're not drinking an excessive amount. Obviously, alcohol is legal. Nobody's saying people can't drink, but certainly you can't be drinking at work and you can't be having, you know, uh, a high alcohol level in your blood whilst you're at work if you've been, you know, paralytic the night before. And certainly we can't be under the influence of drugs either. How would you feel if employers bought in mandatory drug and alcohol testing for social workers? It, well... It really wouldn't bother me, but then I don't do drugs and I don't drink to excess. So and that's exactly what um, you would be saying when I was there. With the when I was there with the swab, I'd be saying, "Well, Tilly, Tilly, you'd be like, oh, oh, well, I don't take drugs and I don't drink to excess.' And well, well, I bet you say that to all the boys, Tilly. You know, get come on, <laughs> open wide, get your swab in there, and uh, yeah, oh well, Tilly, you put on the barbiturates again. The thing is, I mean, I come across this a lot um, in my magistrate's work about drug testing because yes. people being over the limit when they're, they're drug driving because for drugs, there's no set limit on, on many of the drugs. If they're in your system, then you're going to get be over the limit. Yes. Um, there's the way that drugs work and they, they can stay in people's systems for weeks, sometimes months at a time. Um Certainly things like cannabis can stay for like two, three weeks in your system. So I would have a problem with if someone is doing recreational drugs in their own time, which is is illegal in this country. Um, but you know what? There are worse things out there. But if someone's doing that in their annual leave and by the time they come back to work, they're absolutely fine. And then they were then no longer to be able to be a social worker because they were found to res result a positive drug test. Then I would have a problem with that because actually what you do on your own time in your personal life shouldn't really matter. 
as long as it's not still you're not still actually high or something then I think we just need to be a bit lenient with people there are worse things in the world than than some of the recreational drugs out there alcohol for example is often worse than many recreational drugs but I suppose that's a podcast for a whole different series because I think there are many drugs out there that I think should be legalized because actually if they were regulated and taxed and they'd be a lot safer and I think we'd have a lot less societal problems but that is a podcast for another day well I'm off to I'm off to Amsterdam on Thursday Tilly so wow exactly so you could I'm be not going for that just to be clear everyone <laughs> just to be clear I am going to see a Bruce Springsteen concert at uh, the IX Amsterdam Arena. I am not going to partake in the old uh, Sweet Mary Jane. Definitely not. Um, but say but look, you did. Say, say hypothetically, I'm not Hypothetically, saying if I hit the coffee bars, if I went down the bulldog and got on a exactly. mad Exactly. If you did that, when you were on annual leave in your holiday in a country where it's legal, uh-huh. you came back and did a drug test and failed the drug test... Would that be a problem or should that be a problem? Yes, I no. think it would be a massive problem. I'll tell you exactly it would why. Be. I'll tell you why. It would I... be a problem, but it shouldn't be. Um, I'll tell you why it's a massive problem. It's an absolutely huge problem for social workers to do that simply because social workers in my line of work will often cite drug use as a reason for separating parents from their children. So no matter how morally people view this one and what position they have. And certainly we're having many, many American listeners right now where, you know, cannabis is legalized. And I think it's state by state. I don't think it's a national um, lifting of the ban yet, but certainly state by state, it's legal in many states. And the many American social workers will be, you know, you know, thinking this talk's absolutely irrelevant to them because we're talking about cannabis as if it's illegal. And, you know, like I say, if you look at the science, Tilly, if you look at the science, cannabis is a lot better for you than alcohol is that's just a fact you know i'm not supporting either you know i don't drink and i don't take drugs um but on a fact factual basis cannabis is nowhere near as bad for your body as alcohol is but the reason it's a massive massive issue in social work tell is how on earth can we work in a profession within child protection where cannabis use is often cited as a significant risk factor. Obviously, there's mitigating circumstances. It's usually if people are under the influence of cannabis in the care of children and so on, you know. I've worked with many a parent in the past who's used cannabis and we haven't even seen it as a child in need issue because they've gone and maybe sat behind the garden shed and had a joint on an evening whilst their partner's been looking after the kids and they've been sober. So it's not, it's not always, it's not even always a significant grounds for referral because let's get this right, Tilly, if we were involved with every single parent in this country who smoked cannabis, I think we'd have about 5 billion children in care, 5 million children in care. You know, when, when I'm driving around council estates this time of year, not even council estates, when I'm driving around anywhere this time of year, Tilly, how often do you think I smell cannabis on a, on a hot summer's night? All the time, no matter where you go, it's everywhere. Exactly, it's it's like the uh, it's like the it's like the Eagles song, Hotel California, the sweet smell of Kalitas rising up in the air. Um, that's exactly what it is. I, I have the sweet smell of Kalitas rising up in the air as I'm uh, wandering about doing my social work duties. The point is, though, is 
social workers simply can't be doing it because that really is that that is the epitome of hypocrisy it's fair enough if we live our life in a certain way doing legal things that we might suggest our clients don't do in my opinion it is very very different if we spend our time doing illegal things that we also tell our clients we can't do uh look morally and ethically does that sit right with me i'll be blunt with you no pun intended Personally, I think cannabis should be legalized. I, I, I you know, if there was a, if there was a referendum came through, should cannabis be legalized? I, I would vote for it. Other drugs, no, I don't think so. I think the evidence is there that other drugs are far more damaging. But I think cannabis should be legalized. I think there's a, a hell of a lot of benefit to it. It takes their money away from criminals. It will reduce crime. It should improve quality. It regulates it, and it brings a lot of tax into the government coffers, which. Believe me, we all know in social work, we, we do need extra public spending. But until it is legalised, Tilly, we just can't do it, my friend. We can't do it. So, yeah, uh, even though I don't want to anyway, I definitely won't be uh, getting on the old Wactoria Bactoria in Amsterdam next week. This week. <laughs> you'll, you'll behave. Yeah, this week now. Yeah. Yes. Thursday, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, should our employees do more then? to help social workers in these situations? Is there more of a duty on our employers to say, well, actually, you know, we don't want you to be hypocrites. We don't want you to be giving out advice that you can't lead by, uh, that you, you, you can't lead others by. Should our employers do more to make sure that, you know, their social workers are healthy and happy? I think we had this as a panel question, didn't we? Where it was, should employers ban cake or something from the office? Absolutely not. I mean, it's none of their business. It really isn't. Um, I mean, ultimately, the thing that's going to be able to allow social workers to lead healthier lives is to reduce stress and pressures within the job. If I have to go to a e-learning seminar or something ah, on ah, healthy ah, eating ah, or have ah, to do like a mindfulness class or something ah, that's, that's compulsory i think i will well there'll be some expletives coming out of my mouth so um yeah, yeah let's not let's not make our employers do anything about it because you know what happens in the corporate world if you take something <laughs> like that and before you know it yeah. it's um yeah we're all having to sit around on a on a thursday morning like if you think looking about- at an apple and being mindful about it <laughs> if you think of some some employees do that though don't they you know they have uh, they have breakout rooms they have gym classes they have mindfulness classes they have uh, you know gym equipment they have like lunchtime walks they have free cafeterias where you can eat healthy a lot of employees do that a lot of people in the private sector get that support now whether you look whether you want to take that up or not, of course, you're right, Tilly, that should be up to you. You know, Whether you decide to do that, that's up to the individual. But even if we decide not to take it up, should that offer not be there for those who would take it up? I don't think it looks very good, though, does it? I mean, you imagine these sorts of things in the head office of Google or Facebook or one of these big corporations. But can you imagine a local authority like spending money on providing all their staff with healthy lunches when you've got children on child protection plans that are like struggling with the absolute basic necessities and where's their free fruit and veg and and everything like that. So I think it, I don't think it would politically go down very well. 
Oh, I just I just think people should be left alone more. I think social workers should just be allowed to be who they want to be. And as long as it's not impacting on directly on their job, then live and let live. Even if we are on a path of self-destruction. Uh, individual autonomy, human rights. I'm a pro-choice kind of gal. So as I would be working in a mental capacity act team, autonomy and your ability to make up your own minds and decisions is the most important thing. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. Miss Baden has just sat before you all right there and said that even if people are on a path of self-destruction, they should be allowed to continue without intervention. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I label this woman a hypocrite because I imagine she has told many of her clients over many a year when they have been on a path of self-destruction, they need to mend their ways. Is Teddy Baden a hypocrite? Yes, I believe she is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Guilty. Guilty is charged, Your Honour. We are. Right. uh, Where's the gavel? Miss Payton, you, uh, how do you, how do you plead? I'm getting deja vu. Well, it's not deja vu because I remember when we did this before. Um, In person, actually, didn't we? We did. We did. I I subjected you to a role play in person, courtroom based role play in person. We've avoided role play for quite a long time. This I isn't think... a proper role play, though. I'm saving up for a good one. <sighs> I've, you've been saving up for a long time. I've got a rollover. Have... It's a rollover. How, how many often did I say once a month? Did once I say? A month. So... I think I haven't had it for oh, two and no. a half months. That's going to be a. It's going to be a Brucey oh. bonus. It's going to be a rollover when I do get it. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh no! What guilty is charged. You are guilty. Yeah. You are guilty of being a hypocrite. So, Vince Peart, are you a hypocrite as well? How do you plead guilty or not guilty? I'm going to be honest, I don't think I am. I'm going to sicken everybody by reminding everybody of just how terribly boring in my life is. So, no, no, I don't think I am a hypocrite. Um, people are welcome, you know, pe- pe- you know, let the sunlight in, you know, let the light in. Come and have a look at my life, you will see. Very little there indeed to be shocked by. Part, and, well, depends when, when well, I get into the world of underground oh. wrestling, things might be very different. You know, it might be very different when I'm, you know, underground wrestling and I've got like, you know, a troop of wrestlers. Then, oh, you know, have you heard about your social worker? Yeah, what about him? <laughs> He's a wrestling manager. You know, he goes by the name of Vince Peart by day, but by night they call him Willie Pocock. Oh, God. Oh, no. Anyway, I mean, I can attest to your clean living, healthy eating styles because it makes you very, very difficult when we meet up for our Ah. our writers retreats to be able to choose what we're going to eat. Because there's me and Nick and Millie Glass and everyone that's just happy to eat whatever. And there's you that has to have a very specific diet and we have to shop accordingly. I'm I'm like a gremlin. You can't feed me after midnight. You can't get water on me. Um, I need to be in bed early as well. You know, this is what I mean. How, you know, how terribly boring, how terribly boring. So I don't think I am a hypocrite, Tilly. I think, you know, you know, you're going down that path yourself. Oh, well, I might just drag all the other writers with me because I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I will be the designated driver. Yeah. I mean, that suits our group just fine. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we're happy but what's, what is worse, Tilly, let's end up on this one. What is worse, a hypocrite or somebody that thinks they are holier than thou? 
Oh, definitely the latter. (laughs) 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 Oh, there's something to reflect on, listeners. Um, On that note, listeners, um, thank you ever so much for tuning in. Um, As always, do check out the stories that we have referred to. You will find them all on my social work news. Dot com. Also, give us a like, give us a review. Do give us a review. We haven't had a review for a while. We do love reading out your reviews at the start of the show. So if you're listening through iTunes, drop us a review on your iTunes app. It should only take you a minute or two. Drop a review and we will read that out on next week's show. We'll be back next week with who knows what. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.